Laura Phillips, and you're listening to a podcast by Hip V Hype, where we discuss new ideas around housing, sustainability, and climate action to explore ways to support the sustainable growth of our cities and regions. We respectfully acknowledge that Hypecast is recorded on traditional Aboriginal lands, which have been sustained for thousands of years. We honour their ongoing connection to these lands and seek to respectfully acknowledge the traditional custodians in our work. How can finance be used to have a positive impact at scale? The Clean Energy Finance Corporation is helping to cut carbon emissions by investing $10 billion on behalf of the Australian Government in agriculture, clean tech innovation, energy generation and storage, infrastructure, property, transport and waste. Today I sit down with Liam Wallace, Director of HIPP Hype and Ryan Rathborn, Joint Head of Property at the Clean Energy Finance Corporation, to discuss how clean finance can drive the shift to a clean energy economy. So Ryan, tell us about the work of CEFC and what you're currently focused on. Yeah, thanks, Laura, and, and thanks very much for having me. So I guess my role at the CFC is to identify and execute investments that reduce emissions in the property sector as soon as possible. We've been at this since about 2016, and over that time, we've invested in office, retail, industrial, healthcare, hotels, housing, and seniors living projects. So quite diversified, and that really reflects the nature of the problem, um, or the challenge, rather. We have Australia's built environment representing up to 25% of, of emissions on a national basis. So we really need to, I guess, work out how we progress that towards a sort of lower carbon emissions future. So it's a really exciting space. Um, and, and the sector's been been just, just moving so quickly towards that goal, which has been really pleasing to see. So in today's environment, what we're currently focused on is, I guess, continuing the, the operational efficiency side of the business, but also tackling some of those large challenges around what do we do with embodied carbon? It's a huge sort of a bit of a, well, has historically been a blind spot in some of these industries, but industry is very quickly coming up the curve for it. Another key theme that we think is is critical for um, the built environment is around the electrification. So reducing that reliance on long-term fossil fuels so that as we, you know, make big shifts in the, I guess, the, the emissions intensity of the electricity grid, um, the, the sectors that use energy off the back of that can can ride that trajectory down. So it's a, it's a really exciting time, but a lot still to be done. How can green finance, obviously that's the element that you focus on, accelerate the transition to a net zero emissions economy within those very interdependent elements? Yeah, I think finance is becoming an increasingly influential force in the low carbon transition. Data that's collected by the Climate Bonds Institute shows that since 2012, over $1 trillion, um, US dollars that is, has been issued in climate-aligned bonds. And that's across 45 different countries. And the big sectors in that have been in transport, energy and waste. So there's there's just a tidal wave of capital looking for a home in climate-aligned investments. I think compounding on that BlackRock, the 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 huge investment manager, their 2020 global survey that covered $25 trillion in assets across 420 investors said that on average, they plan to double their sustainable investment over the next five years. And almost nine out of rated the environment as their priority factor in the most focus. So you start to get a sense that that finance will be a driving force towards sort of more ambition, more I guess, specific and targeted plans towards environmental concerns. And I think we're just going to see that continue. So I think the way that we look at it at the CFC is, is, is in a lot of different frames. 
But one of the things that we try and do is set up investment platforms so that other investors can co-finance in sustainable property and, and other sustainable economy solutions alongside us. And what that allows us to do is, I guess, multiply the impact of the, the $10 billion allocated from the federal government to the CFC so that we can sort of crowd in capital and, and I guess, put more weight behind that, that transition to accelerate it as much as possible. A recent example um, that I like to speak about is in 2020, we launched a sustainable build to rent fund with Qualitas, who are a, a non-bank lender for, for commercial and, and residential projects in Australia. And we've just announced our first project through that strategy, which was a, a 265 apartment project in South Brisbane developed by Arqua. And as part of our funding, not only did the project have to tick all the, the commercial and risk boxes, but there was minimum sustainability standards attached to that strategy where the developers had to be hitting agreed targets just to qualify for funding. And through that financing journey, our clerk were great. They had they had good consultants. They they really embraced what we were trying to to achieve together, and that development to now comfortably exceed where we'd sort of set the floors for that. So, I think that's a, a really interesting example of how non traditional finance can can provide something an impact on on the nature of development that's taking place. Now we're a, we're a passive debt investor in that in that project. So we, we weren't the developer, but just the provision of finance can be such a powerful. So we're, we're, we're really looking at those sorts of opportunities as well, because we, we just think that the appetite's out there. If we can help to create product that brings even more capital in, then that's just a, a sort of, I think, a one-way journey. And Liam, what about from your perspective, how green finance can accelerate that transition? It's, it's a really interesting question, Laura. I guess at our scale of things, we, we haven't been exposed so much to the opportunities that I guess Ryan's uh, mentioning. I guess the scale of our projects are such that we're, we're, we're out seeking to lead the market without necessarily the support of subsidised finance to seek to incentivise um, better outcomes. I think that's probably it's probably one of the the opportunities in this space. And, and it really comes down to this question of scale because it sort of seems like at, at a smaller scale we're seeking to take innovative leaps but the sorts of opportunities that that Ryan's outlining really are talking about amounts of capital and, and time and energy that's required to be put into the placement of that capital that sort of locks out smaller scale opportunities that that potentially exist in a more innovative space so as an example the 265 apartments that Ryan mentioned are no doubt working through existing certification pathways, whether that be pathways established through the Green Building Council of Australia and, and, and other established pathways. But potentially, um, it could be said that there's opportunities being missed for innovation that, that exists outside of those established pathways, that, that finance isn't yet necessarily capturing those opportunities purely you know, because of that deal scale. And, and we see that directly where we know from a principles-based perspective where we're probably operating in a space that sits in many senses in excess of, 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 of what these established certification pathways are able to capture. I don't know, Ryan, like what, 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 what opportunities do you see in that, in that space? Yeah, I think it's, it's an interesting question because... I think even at the CFC, what we're starting to look at is 
exactly what you said. We've done some work in probably the more institutional places so far, but we recognise that the mid-market represents a huge volume of, of real estate in Australia, whether it be you know residential development or, or commercial assets being held by effectively privates and families and, and superannuation, like self-managed superannuation funds and all that sector. So that's a path that we're that we see is critical now. In some respects, the the large groups are almost self-regulating. Um, they've they've sort of set their net zero targets and they're they're busy implementing those. So, at the CFC, we think that there's we'd love to do more in in that sort of mid-market space, which we sort of <laughs> refer to it as, which isn't is, is in no way a reflection of quality. It's it's really around scale. But I think some of the if we look at the residential space, some of the boutique and bespoke developers, the quality of the product that they're delivering in, especially in certain markets and in certain sort of demographics, are really unbelievable. Doing it off their own back, meeting what they think their their customers or their purchasers target markets are really designing something for them first. And that seems to be really resonating with those markets. We're seeing really good rates of sales velocity and, and good pricing outcomes on those sorts of projects. So we think there's a real gap in the market for, for more and more of that. So I, I totally agree, Liam. I think the finance community as a whole has a, has a really interesting role to play across the spectrum of projects, not just the, the big end of town, all the way down to private developers looking at single one-off projects and what we can do on those, because often they are the, the flags on the hill of sustainability and, and demonstrating innovation and entrepreneurship that, that comes with the flexibility of some of those more agile um, development groups. Gets to that issue of impact, doesn't it? Because it's yeah, the larger end of town, like you've said, there, there is to an extent through, as an example, through the great work of the Green Building Council over many years now, establishing those, those widely recognised pathways and and to an extent, those larger corporates are self-regulating and, 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 and they're, they're doing a really great job. But at that smaller scale, that idea of seeing is believing, being able to demonstrate or there were these projects that are getting up off, off um, and being led by the development community in certain markets, achieving these, these outcomes. But we, we see an opportunity in the measurement space. We've recently been doing some some work around some of the apartments that we're we're delivering in South Melbourne down here in Melbourne and we're we're achieving almost eight and a half star average performance across 22 apartments and it's interesting that the minimum um, requirement is six star still under the the building code here in Australia and we're we're seeking to understand what what that difference actually means we've done some modeling work and we're looking at sort of a 40% energy reduction per annum, equating to roughly about a 40% carbon reduction through the operational phase per year, according to our modelling. But that's that's obviously based on a number of assumptions. It's going to be really interesting for us um, to seek to do some work post-completion to actually start to measure and, and gain that better understanding of how the apartments are performing. And I think there's a, you know, there's a really great opportunity there for, for, for certain groups to come together and start to demonstrate that that impact. There's that education piece not only to other developers but but also to the consumer as to as to the tangible benefits. I think just 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 by way of example that 
that 40% carbon reduction for, for an average two-bedroom apartment in for us in York equates to, to driving your car back and forth from Melbourne to Byron three times in a year. So like it's, it's tangible, the savings. You start to gather that information and present it that way to the consumer. Hopefully we, we get that wildfire effect. Terrible terminology in the context of climate change, but useful visualisation. I think it's been really interesting. Groups like CSIRO have done some sort of customer profiling of and testing terminology out on on residents ultimately and, and seeing what sort of sticks in terms of if you were marketing sustainable homes to residents and what they value. And I think one of the really interesting insights for me has been that comfort has been a huge thing. So yes, a higher NATO's rating will get you a sort of a lower energy bill, but you should have not a severe colds and not as intense heat in those peaks of summer and winter and that goes to comfort and the the glazing that you use in some of those projects probably have superior acoustic profiles as well and now sort of health and well-being during what everyone's been through over the last 18 months has been a big thing as well so what is the quality of air in your house is it a healthy home so i think all of these things start to create a, a really interesting message about what people want in what does someone's home look like in 2030 what's the relevance of what we're building now for 2030 40 50 because they're very long dated assets that's that's a really great example i know we've Katria, my partner, my partner and I lived in our project in Brunswick, the Davison Collaborative. We spent last year, 2020, living in that project and that rated up at about eight and a half stars. It was fully electric and and we had an energy recovery ventilation system operating in that home. And, you know, midway through winter last year, we we kind of switched the heat, just that the passive heating that we received from the sun hitting the the concrete slab internally, just on top of our own body temperatures, just kind of created enough heat to live without an active heating system which was really interesting and we we moved out of that home earlier this year where we're planning to move into our next project for us in york in, in south melbourne we kind of like to we're at that stage in our lives where we've got the you know where we've got, kind of got the luxury of being able to to live in our own projects and learn from those projects but in the meantime we're renting a, a terrace house in middle park down here in melbourne and we've moved from this u-view 8.5 townhouse in Brunswick to Terrace House in Middle Park. And the, the townhouse in Brunswick is probably worth around about 1.3 million. This Terrace House in Middle Park is probably worth close to three <laughs> from a capital value perspective. I tell you what, we've gone from having no heating in winter to being able to see our breath in our room when we wake up in the morning here in Middle Park in an asset uh, that's worth, uh, you know, close to two and a half times. The, the value of the asset in Brunswick. I know this stuff, these systems and this, this extra performance definitely costs more. I think that's, that's definitely that role in finance to, to start to build, build the supply chains, create the demand and, 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 and bring the cost of these systems down and upskill the broader market so that more and more builders are able to build to this higher level of performance more cost effectively. I guess that's part of, part of your broader impact. Yeah, there's, there's this really interesting group coming out of the, the US called Sealed at the moment, which is almost taking that model to, to, as I understand it, existing homes as well, where they'll sort of come in and upgrade your home, especially insulation, HVAC, all those sorts of things, and effectively only get paid when you start saving energy. So those sorts of models are really interesting as well. So it'll be really interesting to see what what ability there is to sort of co-opt those into an Australian context. Um 
because yeah, yeah, I can see by the jacket you're wearing, Liam, that um, it's probably not the most comfortable climate there. Mate, I'm, I'm in the front room, like half of Melbourne at the moment, working from home, looking out over the street with a um, yeah, with a puffy jacket on. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's we've we've seen some examples out of the Netherlands as well, where there's there's mass programs looking at degasification. So there's there's government funded programs that'll come in and. And, and essentially take gas out of existing homes and, and work to provide subsidies for the electric heat pump for hot water and heating to replace you know gas systems and, and, and looking at funding funding models to incentivize broad adoption of, of degasification. That'd be something that'd be awesome to see down here in Melbourne in particular. We've spoken a bit about how we can support more energy efficient better high-performance sustainability outcomes for apartments and, and the built environment kind of more broadly. Is there, Ryan, do you see kind of ways that we can better incentivize or support energy efficiency upgrades as, as they stand? You mentioned, obviously, the SEAL program in the, in the US. Is that something that you see not only the Clean Energy Finance Corporation being able to contribute to or something which clean finance more broadly can, can start to generate in Australia? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think when you talk to a lot of sort of people in the Australian market, there can often be a perception that it's not valued by customer. The, the classic example of someone choosing a marble bench top over an extra R number in the insulation and those sorts of things. But I, I think that is starting to change. And I think that, for example, the, the Green Stars sort of home rating standard that it, it will be releasing will, will sort of help to, I guess, create awareness of those sorts of things as well. But I think there's a little bit of sort of waiting to see how much demand is is there for some of those products from a financing perspective. It's been interesting because it's like the residential market is is massive. Like I think there was thirty one billion dollars of mortgage lending done in April this year, which is is phenomenal. So you know, the CFC's ten billion dollars has to go across the economy. So we don't have the the sort of balance sheet to do it all ourselves. So we're looking at what models are sort of scalable and. One thing that I think we've started with is looking at how we can provide sort of green mortgage products. So we've launched two products, one with Bank of Australia and another with First Mac more recently that I guess provide pathways for people either building homes, buying homes or, or renovating homes to access a discounted interest for those sustainable sort of features within their homes. And the Bank Australia program has been running a little bit longer than the First Mac, but the uptake on that was amazing. And look, I think Bank Australia are obviously very aligned to that sort of customer offering and, and very progressive when it comes to the, the sort of thoughts around decarbonisation and those concepts. But, um, you know, the proof is in the market receipt of that product. And I, I think we're hoping that, that this would just lead to more and more sort of financing solutions that, that help to unlock that. Now, that's at the mortgage level where... That there often needs to be a trigger, so a sale of a house or buying a new house. But we hope over time that products will become available that, that allow people to either look at something or maybe sort of more of an asset finance or, or a leasing model to, to access some of those upgrades and do that at a cost-effective rate. So there's a lot in that and it's it's a little bit financially, there's some things to work through, but we think that there hopefully there will be solutions in that space. Just picking up that the concept of, I suppose, over time and how we are seeing a huge amount of shifts in this in this sector. 
What opportunities do you see in the next five to 10 years within clean finance or what are you excited about to create the most impact across the economy? Yeah, I think if you were to draw like a Venn diagram of technology, innovation, sustainability, that'd just be you know, increasingly overlapping at the moment. It, it just seems like prop tech is suddenly a term being thrown around in venture capital circles. You've got innovators sort of specifically designing things for that space. So I think in, it was a year or two ago now, but Kara Swisher, um, who's a journalist in the sort of tech space, she sort of put out the bold vision that the world's first trillionaire will be a green tech entrepreneur. And I think that speaks to, I guess, the, the opportunity in this space. So I think that the CFC... We've got a, what we call the Clean Energy Innovation Fund, which we've kind of allocated $200 million of our $10 billion to put into early stage venture capital businesses that, that often have a technology slant and even often have a, a, a bit of a built environment offering as well. But some of the things we're seeing in that space really excite me. So we're an investor in, in JetCharge, who are the, the EV charging infrastructure business and and some of what they're looking to do is really interesting around i guess converting evs into an asset for the grid as opposed to just a one-way drain on the grid so that's that's really interesting when you think about how the grid operates today and how it might operate in the future with more and more sort of renewable energy generation profiles and the need for storage to balance that load so that's that's really interesting in other parts of the economy as well we've invested in a business called morse micro which is developing sort of low energy wi-fi chip that that run on far less energy and have longer uh, throw of their range. And that can unlock things in in the sort of IoT space, whether that be in, you know, regional areas, monitoring various devices or, or just integrating more data into the way that, that, that all of our economy operates really. So that's really interesting. And probably the other space where we're seeing a lot is in the agriculture space. And so we've invested in AgriWeb, which is a, a livestock management platform that can really increase farm productivity, but it also creates a bit of a streamlined pathway towards sort of carbon neutral products such as, you know, beef and dairy and those sorts of things. So that's really interesting as well. So I think there's this whole world. I think the next big thing probably hasn't been thought of yet, but there's there's huge interest in huge interest in hydrogen and the hydrogen economy and how that can work, especially in hard to abate sectors as a replacement for for gas and those sorts of things. So I think there's lots to be excited about when it comes to the built environment. I think that's true, but I also think there's a huge role and a huge opportunity to just deploy what's already there. I mean, some of the, the outcomes that Liam was speaking about, they're hitting amazing standards using, you know, relatively traditional building techniques and products commercially available today. So it's, it's I think innovation is important, but I think deployment is, is is just as important. Yeah, 100%. And Liam, what about from your perspective, looking forward to the next five to 10 years? Oh, look, I think, I th- I think deployment's, uh, a really, really big part of it. Like as a business, we're pretty focused on sustainability tech and 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 see understand what's coming uh, around the corner. I guess particularly where the built environment's focused. I think where the 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 majority of our cities, as they currently stand, are built. We we build the percentage of new builds as a as a percentage of the the, the overall built environment is relatively small. Like the technologies we're looking for are technologies that can be bolted on intuitively and relatively easily to to, to existing uh, built form. And I know our, our team are working on a project at the moment and starting to to look at the owners' corporation as a mechanism to to to, to be entering into sustainability upgrades 
at a broad scale on existing apartment buildings. And I think there's there's some really exciting opportunities in that space. And I think we've been working with the the jet charge guys on in, on our new build and working through the complexities. We've we've caught up with Tim Washington in this podcast series and had a really great chat about the potential of EVs and, and, and integrating with the grid more broadly. We're, we're, we're in the trenches on that process at the moment and it's not without its complexities and costs. Like we're, we're currently looking at approximately a 10 grand per car park additional cost to install the infrastructure and demand management infrastructure associated with electric vehicle charging points to car stackers within a new apartment building. So if that's a 10 grand per car, per car park cost for a new apartment building, we think you're adding 20, 30% at least premium um, to be installing the same infrastructure to an existing building. So that's that's a real challenge and, and that's real-time costing on what we're finding. It, it, it's it's going to ultimately uh, cost for us to, to work through that process now. In a voluntary setting, it's not. There's no real commercial imperative to do that, particularly when you look EV adoption in Australia. Hopefully, we get some legislative settings shortly that 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 are requiring new builds to be installing this infrastructure, and we get groups like the CFSD kind of funding targeted pilots to 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 support that. But yeah, it's definitely the right place to be in the next the next 10, 10 years. It's an interesting proposition, mate. The next trillionaire or the first trillionaire will, will come off the back of sustainability tech. It's kind of yeah. it should be an, it should be a nice change to the the current most likely candidate who's building his wealth off off the concept of say a fulfillment center. It's a, it's a nicer idea. It, it is someone building that wealth off doing well by by doing good. Yeah, like I think it's, it was really interesting. I recently attended a conference where there was a delegate from Fifth Wall. I don't know if you've come across them in the US or not. I think it was Greg Smithies. And it was amazing to watch some of the analysis that he'd done on if you look at the big auto companies, what happens to their share price when they announce something about electric vehicle ranging or that they're phasing out internal combustion engines by certain dates and it's like the market loves it and i think they're a bit of a barometer for what you know, potentially what the people are, are thinking so uh, yeah, i think that that ev space is is really interesting i think we're sort of on, on the cusp of it still a little bit with sort of the availability of of particular models in australia at the moment but hopefully they're they're, they're coming in shortly and, and we'll see a bit more of them on the australian roads I just loved, yeah. I just I just loved <clears throat> that episode from um, Fight for Planet A with Craig Rucastle where he got the Tesla on the racing the the V8 and absolutely smashed it. But just seeing the the petrol heads, the look on his face when, you know, it came down to pure speed. There's there's this this notion that the V8s like we can't live without the V8, and then and these guys saw the performance of the EV and they're just like. Where do I sign up? Yeah, that was another great one, I think, on a, a mine site where they'd taken a, an EV out there and had exactly the same reaction, right? Like going fast is going fast. It's whatever a machine does it for you at the end of the day. Yeah, totally, totally. Well, we might wrap up there, but thank you so much for your time, Ryan, and really valuable you know, conversation that we've had today. And thank you so much, Liam, as well. Yeah, thanks, mate. Keep up the good work. It's really important. Oh, thanks for having me. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Liam. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hypecast. If you're listening in on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe and take a moment to leave a review.